Rapper Kanye West's impending purchase of the right-wing social network known as Parler has a lot of people scratching their heads and trying to figure out what Ye is up to now. Is this an attempt to change the conversation after his recent series of anti-Semitic statements? Maybe to establish his credentials as a free speech warrior? Or maybe it's the payoff in the latest of a long series of questionably legitimate yet mutually beneficial publicity stunts and feuds that bear a strong resemblance to the professional wrestling concept of kayfabe. Join us as we examine this concept and take a look at the similarity between the MAGA brand of political operators and what's now known as the sports entertainment business. I'm Griff Somke. And I'm Jay McKenzie. And this is the Did Nothing Wrong Podcast. So, Jay, tell me, what is Parler? Or perhaps we should be saying at this point, what was Parler? Where did it come from? Why does it matter? Parler came about through some funding through the Mercer family, the backers of Breitbart and Cambridge Analytica and Steve Bannon. Parler was a Twitter alternative that got a lot of steam in late 2020, right around election time. Trump hyped it a lot. A lot of people in his orbit flocked to it and said they were done with the censorship of Twitter and <laughs> they were tired of big tech tyranny. So we're going to go join this free speech haven over at Parler. So they briefly kind of blew the place up. I think at one point they were having 15 million. That was, I think, the claimed number. That was the claim. Yeah. And I don't know if that's like daily active users or, or people that downloaded the app. For reference, the monthly visits to Twitter are right now about 7 billion. I don't know exactly what they were in 2020, but probably fairly comparable. Parler, a Twitter knockoff that was supposed to be free speech haven if you've been banned from Twitter or Facebook or any of the, the mainstream platforms. Well, we're not going to censor you here, so bring your QAnon memes and your <laughs> uh, whatever whatever conspiracy you're into over to, over to Parler. And hey, you probably like Trump, so it's all uh, a bunch of people who like Trump here, and let's talk about it. And it did become this this sort of weird, only almost exclusively right-wing echo chamber where I think at one point they were paying Democrats or leftists to join the platform. They were. There was an offer that if you had more than X number of followers on Twitter, they would pay you to come over. I, yeah, and I think I think we qualified at the time. Yeah. Was that part of us? <laughs> yeah. You know, let's just go argue with these people. They were so desperate for it to be Twitter, but the whole thing about Twitter is arguing and, and mm -hmm. picking fights with your ideological opponents and turning that into quote tweet or reply off mess. And Parler was just all my friends who agree with me. And after a while, that... That gets kind of boring. They can't get anybody to fight with at that point, so they end up eating themselves alive. And then after a while, it's okay, we're all agreeing with each other, but it's not affecting the discourse. If you want to affect the discourse, you have to be on Twitter. You have to be where journalists are and where Democrats are. And okay, it's cool for a few days to have all your friends that agree with you. You don't have to hear about all these liberals and their nonsense, but I think it got boring pretty quick. Discourse does imply multiple points of view, and they had a real shortage of that over there. They just couldn't get anyone to come over and argue with them. Imagine that. Yeah. Very shocking that people wouldn't want to go to a place full of basically Trump rabid fans and just yeah. argue. Yeah, shocking, really. <laughs> Gab had the outright racists. You could go to Gab and be very, very racist if you wanted to, and they weren't going to ban you for that. You could go to Telegram and start a channel, and there's virtually no moderation in terms of what they're prepared to tolerate. But you can't search that. You have to know what you're looking for, and it's all within a certain channel. You have to go and find it. You're not going to Google up Telegram channels the same way that you would Google up Gab posts or Twitter posts. So... All of these platforms kind of have their own limitations, and Parler was just sort of a sad Twitter knockoff with nothing but MAGA people on it, who all supposedly had millions of Parler followers, which was 
kind of funny in and of itself. Yeah. 15 million followers. Yeah, with their their follower numbers that are that are more than the total users on the site. <laughs> All followers. It somehow just happens. Um, I don't know how it happened. We're so popular now. Really. It's crazy. Parlor, I think, really only mattered right before the 2020 election and then from election day until January 6th. It was it was really just okay if you're pushing the election denialism, if you're rapidly pro-Trump, you're finding all this supposed evidence that ballots were harvested or ballots weren't counted or... Right. My God, there were... All the various crazy conspiracies around the ballots in the election and watch the waters and China and Venezuela and oh wow. There were so many things and the, the Kraken lady, Sydney Powell, were uh, Oh yes, really certainly... Kraken, that's they were they were getting that intel from parlor where the all the minds were really coming together and <laughs> and uh, put, putting the pieces together they were, they were really solving that puzzle so I know it's been documented how much of a role parlor played in and sort of urging on January 6 and convincing people to show up and convincing people that we must save America as Trump called his rally before right. the Capitol was breached so yeah parlor <laughs> did have that sort of um, temporary importance and then after January six people were just laughing there were extremist researchers and people that were really paying attention were waving their hands up in the air and saying um actually this is not so funny this is this is really bad we should be concerned why aren't we doing something parlor certainly was important for a while insurrection happened and then everybody said oh shit a social media platform or really any any website doesn't just exist on its own. It needs a domain host. It needs a domain registrar. It needs DDoS protection, which essentially prevents it from going offline from people who want to overload the servers. All of those services abandoned Parler. Parler right. was at one point using DDoS Guard, which is a company based in Russia that has been used by the Russian security services. So they were using that and Epic... <laughs> which uh, is run by a, a fellow we've run into a few times named Rob Monster, who... Uh, That's his name, we promise. That is his name, and he provides services to the worst people you've ever heard of. Honestly, the people we talk about, we call them the worst people, but Rob Monster supplies domain hosting and DDoS protection and registrar services to the people that are worse than the worst people. The, the right. people that you you don't necessarily know who they are and you don't want to. And and the reason that anyone's heard of them is Rob Monster, because he keeps them going. He keeps them online, yes. With Parler, once they lost all those services, they just, they shut down. The site was down for a few months. They did eventually get back online. And despite the fact that they're the free speech haven, right, when all of this happened and Google Play dropped them, in order to get taken back in order to get back online parlor had to agree to make all these changes to their moderation and what they considered hate speech and what they would do if they you know found these posts how they would treat the accounts that were posting this material so they had to not live so true to their uh mission statement right they're still they're, they're certainly still claiming that that free speech haven status but that is a that is a questionable term but in any case when Parler was offline, everybody went somewhere else. People went to other alternative platforms like Gab, like Telegram. There was no reason to stick around at that point. There wasn't anything that they were doing that was particularly great or particularly groundbreaking or amazing. It was just a place to go for five minutes until it wasn't anymore. Well, and I think at that point, with the amount of bad press that they got, anyone on that site would have just thought you were a fed <laughs> and and they probably wouldn't have been wrong there they were you know you look at their uh their daily active users around around fifty thousand, and honestly at this point maybe the feds have moved on but at least for a while <laughs> okay fifty thousand, and i don't know maybe five ten percent of that or our <laughs> uh, fed accounts probably left a couple behind to just go through the few posts that they actually get anymore <laughs> yeah it doesn't yeah. take very much fed time <laughs> like oh we just you know we went from a, a floor or a wing of the fbi building to to jeb <laughs> over here <laughs> in the in the in the back room and 
<laughs> Jeb doesn't understand the internet too well, but <laughs> no, just if you see these keywords, let someone know, Jeb. <laughs> they taught him how to control F. So, uh, kind of reminds me a little of MySpace, except nobody actually misses Parlor, you know? It's just, oh man, I saw that when I posted something about Parlor on Twitter and I, I meant to respond. Somebody asked me the active users on MySpace. And for a second, I was like, oh, that's a funny joke. And oh, wait, shit, MySpace still exists. Yes, it does. And it probably brings in more users every month than Parler does. I, I'm going to go look right now because I, now I just have to. And I don't care if we keep this part or not. But Back I've check. Gotta, I've got to actually see what, what MySpace is Did pulling wrong, in. So, Back check. Yes, yes, let's bring it up. Oh, oh. Can like Joe Rogan over here. Oh, man, do you have a source for that? Yeah. Yeah, Joe. It's uh it's RT. Oh, that's fine. Let's let's roll. InfoWars, man, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it is on a website on the internet. Oh shit. Okay. Okay. So Parlor's <laughs> monthly users are 1.3 million. MySpace is 3.3 million. <laughs> I mean, that's that's how bad it is. Who the we did that live, folks. That was live. Uh, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a, that's a did nothing wrong fact check. Fact Exclusive check. take. <laughs> wow. Uh, so literally half the users that MySpace has at this point. Yeah. Less than half. That is. Wow. That is brutal. <laughs> that is brutal. Just, uh, mm -hmm. That's just. Go home and reevaluate your life territory at that point. Kanye West, the man who is worth $2 billion at last check, is going to buy this website that is, well, we can't even call it a competitor for MySpace. That's, that's a lot to go at this point. Uh, it's, but yeah, Kanye, Kanye, who, has that guy ever had any sort of nine to five job? No. It's, it, obviously, at one point, his rap career was doing great. I, I listened to it. Oh, yeah. I liked it. It was good stuff, man. But he wasn't, he was in a recording studio, and I'm I'm sure he worked hard and long hours, but he wasn't at a desk writing emails and no, you no. Know, entering numbers into Excel <laughs> spreadsheets, right? He's not prepared for this. He's no. not interested in this. Why would he be? What on earth does Kanye West want with this? Why? He's done co-branded stuff before where he's put his name on things and it's sold relatively well. The Nike Air Yeezy is something that, you know, sold a few shoes for them. He's done fashion collaborations with people. Granted, that was a long time ago. You you read his Wikipedia page before we did this episode, didn't you? <laughs> or maybe you just knew this stuff. I, I honestly, No, no, I, I remember the Air Yeezy. I, I will admit, I just have not paid that much attention to him over the years. You know, his first three or four albums were great. That guy oh, made yeah. some really great music at one point. And yeah, just sold tons of records, was everywhere. Even leaving out the viral stunts that he pulled to get a little famous at one point and another, the man made some legitimately amazing records. So it makes no sense that he'd want to be in this position. But but where is he now, right? The, the last uh, record he put out was just weird. It was not yeah. good. I, yeah. It was, I don't think I made it through. I think I tried two songs and then I was just out. I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It is a question of, okay, well, if the music's not working anymore, then what does Kanye do? And no, he doesn't have to make any more money. He's worth $2 billion, but that's not, once you're at that point, once you have that much money, it doesn't really matter. It's not really about the money anymore. It's about how do you fill your day? And it's pretty clear that Kanye's a narcissist and that he loves attention and the limelight. Mm -hmm. And with the statements that he's made recently, it doesn't seem to matter too much to him what he has to say to get it. So when you look at the fact that he went to this event with his old buddy, Candace Owens, and they wore these White Lives Matter shirts, and that went viral, and that was a thing that everyone said, oh, that's that's terrible, or if you're on the left, or it's, oh, that's amazing, and what a what a cool move by two black Republican influencers to really, really go there and say that. And, what the hell? I love Kanye now. Right, exactly. That was kind of a uh, branding choice and move, and now Kanye's buying this free speech haven known as Parlor, and that is absolutely... 
what Parler is selling itself as and still claiming to be. And I went through looking at all their press releases and how they're describing themselves. And it is every single time it's about free speech and mm-hmm. uncancelable and all those all those terms that they use. So yeah, you've got Kanye over there with Candace Owens, who she has some old companies that she ran. One of one of them was a a blog where she would post kind of random thoughts and things. And at one point she described herself as the female Kanye West, Uh, (laughs) which uh, she's from a mental wellness perspective. The two of them appear to be a good match for one another. Um, (laughs) That's a very kind way of saying that. I think Um... (laughs) I don't think she'll, she can sue me for that one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, they they definitely seem to have a few things in common and that might And be... they've been they've been enemies. They were he in 2018 Kanye endorsed her and then later he denounced her and said she was using him. Was that real? Was that fake? Who knows because now they're friends again. And so there's a TMZ article that came out where it's anonymous sources, but it is talking about what Kanye's doing and Candace has this influence over him and she's making decisions for him and she's setting up interviews and events for him. I'm sure Candace has Tucker Carlson's phone number. Did she set up that interview? Did she set up anything else that he's got going on? Uh, It's a good question, but Candace denies all of it and she denies taking money from Kanye. Why is she doing this? Why why is she going out there? Is Is it just a clout thing? Is it just let's up the content, let's get people talking about me and get me trending and all this stuff maybe but maybe and maybe Kanye's not paying her but maybe the way Kanye is paying her is by buying Parler which has a CEO named George Farmer and George Farmer just so happens to be Candace Owens's husband mm-hmm. go figure that's a kind of a shocker there that he might be buying a social media site that isn't very social as maybe a favor to his old friend This would absolutely not be the first time Kanye West has gotten together with a supposed rival to blow things up and chase clout and make both people's careers improve. I mean, we all remember 2009, Kanye West interrupting Taylor Swift's speech at the Video Music Awards, and everybody got really upset about that. Then he wrote a song that was very kind of let's just say a little bit crass and what it said towards Taylor Swift. And then we find out later Taylor was in on that, that she was absolutely aware there's a tape and she knew the whole time. So Kanye West is no stranger. I I didn't know that. I didn't know that until five minutes ago, but apparently that was the thing. I don't know how many people listening realize that. I think most people remember that night and that event, but Oh, it was, they were both in on it it was faked and staged holy song afterwards definitely was that's on tape and it made it blew them both up yeah it made them both huge and that's what a good feud in professional wrestling will do it'll elevate both competitors both both participants it'll make everybody better and in order to make it you know a great feud it's got to be competitive You can't just have one person come out and stomp the other person and expect that to do much for anybody's career, really. And let's not forget that uh, 2016, Trump wins the election and there's Kanye West at Trump Tower photographed with him. Mm -hmm. Let's not forget Kanye 2020, that presidential run, Uh, which was (laughs) a Trump campaign stunt. Some people took it seriously or at least took it as Kanye's mental illness is currently manifesting in this way. Maybe it was. I'm not saying it it can't also be that, but it was a Trump campaign stunt. There's just no getting around that. So this, this guy has been putting on performances for this audience for a while now. Mm -hmm. Honestly, Candace Owens, whatever she is or isn't, she is a performer too. Right. Blexit, the the black exit from the from Democratic the, Party. From the it's just it's not a thing. It is it is as astroturfed as it gets. Mm-hmm. And she's been looking for that kind of angle, I guess is the best way to put it, since she's been since she's been. She's done this on both sides of the fence. She had a a blog for a while, like you said, where she was the female Kanye West who was offering her opinions on all types of subjects and 
then she goes on Infowars and starts working it from that angle. Yeah, let's let's not forget that first performance after she she tried to run some sort of doxing site that oh, was right. going to reveal there were it was going to reveal anonymous accounts on Twitter and or on social media any social media and reveal who they are and no longer these people can hide in anonymity and I think People on the right and the left both said, uh, this is a terrible, terrible idea. Don't do this. And, <laughs> and it, it, the whole thing blew up before it even started. But she got real mad. And we've seen those tweets where she's she's real mad. And she's still real mad at the people who criticized her and helped bring the site down. But a year later, she shows up on InfoWars. And she's talking up Alex Jones and Paul Joseph Watson of InfoWars. And she's uh, talking up Mike Cernovich. And... <laughs> She's been red-pilled, and Gamergate really showed her what what was really going on and all these things. She's sitting all the talking points. So, yeah, where was she for that year? What was she? Was she taking some acting classes? Was <laughs> That's she, a great uh, question. I, who was she hanging out with? What were they telling her, and what were they promising her? And why did she go from obscure nobody to millions of followers on Twitter and and other social media sites and Kanye's advisor, not advisor, because she, of course, denies everything that she's very obviously doing. And they don't they don't mind that hypocrisy. She doesn't care if you know she's lying. I'm going to deny the thing that I'm going to go out and do in five minutes. Her own husband, George Farmer, CEO of Parler, said that Candace brought up the purchase of Parler at that event where Kanye and Candace were together and they wore the White Lives Matter shirt. He he said this to the Wall Street Journal in an interview. It's out there. It's not in dispute. Meanwhile, Candace is out there denying that she's ever influenced him, <laughs> ever influenced Kanye or had any sort of say in, in what he does or where he goes or anything. What happened she's there? She's training for a role, you know? This is yeah. just... They yeah. found somebody who could play a role, and that's what they've got her doing. Well, and and what is reality TV? I don't even. I can't even keep track of how many Kardashian shows there are. How many of them was he on? And I, most of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm not going to go back and play the tape on that because I. No. <laughs> there's just too many, and I see a new one every week, and I I, I just can't. And if you if that's your thing, if that's your guilty pleasure, then hey, so be it. But reality TV is scripted and it's fights and fake fights and manufactured drama and all these things. Awfully similar to professional wrestling in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm going to ask you this one because I, I think you you know this world a lot better than I do. So kayfabe. Did I, did I say that correctly? You did. That you is did. The, yes, you did. thank you. Okay. So let's talk about what kayfabe is and how it distracts us from things that matter. How often do we see this sort of behavior happening? Well, kayfabe in a professional wrestling sense is the language that people in the professional wrestling business use to talk to each other, to not reveal aspects of the business to people who aren't in the business. So it comes from carny slang because a long time ago, the main place that you would find professional wrestling was at carnivals. The word kayfabe in carny slang means keep quiet. It means don't say anything. Don't, don't let them in on it. And a lot of the terms that they use in professional wrestling come from that era. They referred, not so much anymore, but they referred to people who absolutely believed in what they were doing as marks. The carny version of that is the guy who goes to the shooting gallery and fires off a hundred bucks trying to win the Cupid doll with the gun, with the rigged sights, he's bummed, he's walking away and the carney pats him on the back and says, man, good luck, man. Sorry. You did good. You'll do better next time. The carney dipped his hand in chalk before that happened. So everybody else who's working would see this guy walking down the carnival and they would say, Oh, huh, that guy, <laughs> he lost a whole <laughs> lot of money. Professional wrestling has used this over the years to, do what they call protecting the business. For years, it was very important for them to give the impression that this was real. They wouldn't do anything that would expose the business if they could help it. That was a cardinal sin. You did not do that in the business. They generally did not have 
guys who were supposed to be good guys, baby faces, go out and have beers or dinner with guys who were bad guys or heels. Because oh, it went it went it went that, that far. far. Well, it that, absolutely okay. went that far. Like you couldn't go out and have a drink after the show with a guy that you were on the other side of. Somebody might see it. If you saw that guy in the hotel bar, you had to go somewhere else because you can't have those two guys having a drink because somebody might see it. Somebody who's at the show might see it and be like, "Oh my God, they're hanging out." And then and then if you don't talk about it on the next episode, then oh, it gets a little weird. Hmm. Somebody might actually figure out that this stuff is staged. There was a rather famous incident in um, the late 80s, a wrestler by the name of Hacksaw Jim Duggan and a wrestler by the name of the Iron Sheik, who's had a second career resurgence as a Twitter personality, ended up getting pulled over in a car together and they were supposed to be feuding. They were supposed to be, you know, the Iron (laughs) Sheik was the mad Iranian guy and Hacksaw Jim Duggan was this American patriot and they got caught in a car with Hacksaw Jim Duggan drinking a beer and the Iron Sheik having a bunch of Coke in his bag. Oof. So that exposed the business kind of badly, as it were. Did they get blackballed after mm, that? No, no. They definitely got kind of in some trouble, but they're both relatively big stars. So there's a limit to okay. how far you can punish somebody who's a big star. And it was an honest mistake, so right. Well, they were in a car. Yeah. They weren't. I mean, not 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 honest. Like they were <laughs> drunk and and they had some coke, was... but they weren't trying to reveal the business. Right? No, they that. were just sort of doing what they did back then. And yeah, right. Basically, you have these guys essentially living their gimmick outside the ring in order to not expose the business. In the nineties, that changed. The World Wrestling Federation had some lawsuits. They had some bad press as a result of several steroid scandals. They decided to rebrand. So at that point, they changed their name from the World Wrestling Federation to World Wrestling Entertainment. And they started emphasizing that they were sports entertainment, that it was not a sport in the same traditional sense. Vince McMahon came out and said, this is entertainment. It is scripted. It is not staged in the sense of this isn't real. What you're seeing in there is real. These guys are are throwing themselves around. These guys are getting hurt in some cases. These guys are doing that, but it is scripted. The results are known to the competitors, to the referee beforehand. They they go out there knowing what's got to happen. Sometimes it's very scripted in terms of everything is planned that they're going to do. Some of the guys who are better at it they don't script anything. They go out there and just sort of do it. And there are people who are that good. It's it's go out there for half an hour and that guy wins. And that's the instructions. And <laughs> the guys who are good enough at it can pull that off. And it works for what they're trying huh. to do. But between the scandals, between the rise of mixed martial arts, between the internet, they finally backed away from the idea that this was a real sport as a result but they still maintain that facade of there's a curtain and you're not seeing on the other side of it. We're not explaining to you how this stuff gets done. You're seeing these feuds on TV. You're seeing these fights on TV. But in reality, some of these guys are best friends. They're out there being actors, basically, performing a role. So a good rule of thumb for professional wrestling is if you see it on TV, it's staged. It's something that you were supposed to see. It's part of the story, which is generally known as an angle. The amount of times that it has been unscripted, very rare. It's happened a handful of times here and there. But for the most part, everything you see on a professional wrestling broadcast is scripted pretty tightly. They will periodically bring up kayfabe. They will periodically bring up what they call a shoot, which is... To say something's real or to say something really actually happened. But generally, we find out years after the fact that wasn't true. That was something that maybe they didn't tell a whole lot of other people besides the two principals involved or the principals. But it was something that they had scripted. It's happened a handful of times where it hasn't been the case. And it's generally a huge scandal. Donald Trump goes back a really long way with these people. He promoted WrestleMania 4 at Trump Plaza in Atlantic City 
1988. As he put it, everybody in the country wanted this event, and we were able to get it. He goes back with the McMahon family at least that far. Vince McMahon, who was the principal owner, CEO of World Wrestling Entertainment for years, his wife was Linda McMahon, and she was Trump's pick to run the Small Business Administration when he got elected. And they donated lots and lots of money to Trump's campaign. Trump has appeared on many, many of their shows. He's actually in the World Wrestling Entertainment Hall of Fame and has been since 2012. So Donald Trump is fully aware of how this world works. It's really interesting how much of his world and that world tend to run the same way. Yeah, the picture that that sticks in my head is Trump giving an interview to Alex Jones in 2015 at Trump Tower. And what is Alex Jones often accused of doing or his own lawyers in court say uh, he's not a news broadcaster. He's a he's an actor. This is entertainment. It's entertainment. He's a guy on stage and he's giving a performance. And mm-hmm. I think all the conspiracy stuff, all the crazy things that Alex Jones says are obviously important and terrible and he's just now been fined over a billion dollars for the things that he he said related to the sandy hook massacre and jones claimed that it didn't happen and the children weren't killed and it's horrific and it's what he put those parents through is absolutely awful but and we're we're not trying to minimize any of that because his performances cause harm and they do bad things but it is often a performance he's even if he goes out there and knows what he's going to say what he's going to talk about he as you said there are those guys in in wrestling who would go out there and okay here you go out there for 30 minutes and you're going to win or that guy's going to win and go do it and i think alex jones has been doing this so long and been performing so long that it's second nature to him but yeah the fact that he's there with Donald Trump is, well, I I think it tells us how serious Trump didn't even take his own candidacy at that point, because it was, it was a promotion. It was a, it was not, he didn't set out to win. He didn't think he had a chance any more than anyone else did. It was, um, I think it was a way to get a better deal on uh, the next apprentice contract that, that was coming up for him. It was free press and free advertising and all that. And Donald Trump was in the campaign to be the guy that everybody hates. Mm-hmm. The heel, as it were. Yeah. The the level of dysfunction that is our current politics in the state of this country, um, it all just sort of came together and actually propelled him to the presidency. But I think it's interesting that Trump has been around all of this for so long. I'm, I'm not surprised that he's around with, with wrestling because I know... His mentor, Roy Cohn, was really big in the boxing world back in the day. Uh, It makes sense for these guys to have, well, Trump had his hotels, but he also got into casinos and Mm -hmm. God, he got into everything. He got into uh, Trump University and steaks and vodka and anything that they would pay him to put his name on. Sure. Just do it. It's, It's a brand. He knows all about that. So it does make sense that all of these guys who are performers, who mm-hmm. are actors, who are used to having a role and playing that role, got elevated right along with him. Alex Jones was important and a big name on the fringes, but he really got propelled to the middle of the discourse. And he did... <laughs> Well, he got important enough that he did eventually get banned from social media, but then he went and made more money. He he got banned, and he's up until these lawsuits with the Sandy Hook case happened, Jones was making more money than he ever had before. So he really grew in terms of importance and stature on the right, and he went from fringe to a little less fringe to, at certain points, everybody was talking about it. Mm-hmm. But then right alongside with him, there's Roger Stone. And there's guys like Chuck Johnson and Gavin McGinnis and Cassandra Fairbanks and all of these people that are, they're performers. They they're are. Not, they are. They're not journalists. They're, they're not traditional in any sense. The analogy here is that in the wrestling business, not everybody is a superstar. Not everybody's going to be a Stone Cold Steve Austin, a CM Punk. There are going to be people who are what they refer to as mid-carters because you've got to have the content. 
you've got to fill the time. These are two-hour shows, and you can't have the stars go out and do the entire two hours. It would devalue them. It would cause too much wear and tear on these people. You have to keep a certain amount of mystique and mystery about it. So you need mid-carters, and the mid-carters have to fight each other. So this, I think, is where you get your people like your Gavin McInnes, your Cassandra Fairbanks, your Ali Alexander. These are people... Your Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard. These are the equivalent of pro wrestling mid-carders, and their job is to kind of make the content to fill the space. Periodically, you'll have guys do a bumbling idiot gimmick, guys that can't win a match, guys that are complete sad sacks. You know, here's your Jacob Wool and your Jack <laughs> Berkman step on up. <laughs> It's it's scary how close this gets sometimes. If no one valued what they were doing, man, why aren't they delivering pizzas? Right. I mean, why aren't they bussing tables? Why aren't they at the used car lot? <laughs> but they're not. They they just keep popping up. And sometimes it's like you said, Wool and Berkman always. They were gonna bring down Robert Mueller, and they don't go away. That's their gimmick. Somebody values it bumbling right-wing operatives, Jacob Wool and Jack Berkman. Ha ha, they're putting stuff out there that isn't even kind of real. But hey, guess what? We're still going to cover it. Somebody went to the press conference. The The mainstream media is going to hold their nose and sneer and, oh, this is insane, but it is, it is content. The right is going to pretend to take them seriously for five minutes and the left is going to point and laugh, but... It's content. It's filling the show. Yeah, it's it's a week when we're not talking about Trump saluting the North Korean general or whatever the thing was that that was embarrassing that could have hurt him or caused him problems. There was always that other story that the right could run with and that could fill their content. It's worked amazingly well for them over the last six years, seven years, ever since about 2015, even maybe 2014, they they figured this out that you could garner a whole lot of people's attention, a whole lot of eyeballs, a whole lot of mind share by having people go out and essentially put on an act. Maybe the easiest way to frame this for people who don't live in this world as we do is if you remember 2016, right before the election, the Access Hollywood tape comes out, Donald Trump grabbing women by the pussy, that whole mm-hmm. that whole thing, locker room talk and all that. The left, of course, covers it, and this is disgraceful, and this is terrible, and how could this happen? And almost immediately, what happens? (laughs) Well, (laughs) WikiLeaks shows up Mm -hmm. with all of these hacked emails and all of this bombshell information that wasn't. It was it was it, it was hacked material, it was real, and yes, the Russians did it and gave it to WikiLeaks, but it was something that the right hyped up into this massive thing and it became WikiLeaks had these John Podesta emails that that turned into spirit cooking that turned into pizza cake that eventually turned into pedogate and QAnon years later but it was this this narrative about about Democrats and pedophiles and John Podesta's uh, risotto recipe it <laughs> of course it was absurd and of course it was crazy but it meant the right was not being forced to talk about the excess Hollywood tape. It meant that there was somewhere else to point your your content and, and people's anger and resentment and all of these uh, feelings that are just pervasive on the internet. It, for the hardcore MAGA crowd, it was, no, 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 here's the thing. Here's the thing. Not even, don't pay attention to that other thing. It's, we're doing this now. Mm-hmm. We're going this way. And, and watch us go. It became a thing that they just, they didn't let go of. It just kept going. They kept promoting like whatever the next narrative is, whatever the next thing is. And it never stopped uh-uh. it, it, for four years. It, and it's and still going. It still hasn't stopped now. And there's, there's always something. Steve Bannon gets indicted for the, we build the wall money laundering scandal. Right. And he's he's taking money from Trump supporters and he's not building the wall. And there's charges of money laundering and fraud and all this. But the right's got something else to talk about. They're going to be mad about, I don't know, cargo shorts. Right. uh, That week. 
They're going to be mad about Antifa. Antifa burned down a city. Some boomer spray painted his garage and blamed it on Antifa. And next thing you know, we've got article after article in the Daily Caller, Daily Wire, Charlie Kirk, all these guys freaking out about what Antifa's doing. And then the guy ends up getting arrested for this, but it doesn't matter. They're on to the next thing by that point. There doesn't need to be a script. You know what you can say and what you can't. And if you go a little too far, then maybe somebody off stage will nudge you back and say, hey, maybe not that. <laughs> if you know where this is supposed to go, if you know what the result is supposed to be, if you know what your goal is, you don't need to coordinate with those other people. You can just do your best to point things towards that end. And most of the time it seems to work. And I think you go back to 2015 and 2016 and it was Trump and Roger Stone and Alex Jones, but then it just kept filtering down mm -hmm. and we just saw more and more players and more and more people who maybe they needed an introduction to the game. Maybe they had to do a little reading or get a little lesson along the way, but I think if you look at how often the right-wing talking points were aligning with Kremlin talking points, it went from this occasional thing or a really fringe thing to more and more they just kept meeting in the middle and, and more and more people were saying those things and it was getting wider play and a bigger audience mm -hmm. and then and then the audience was expecting those talking points, and it snowballed. I think some of us recognized that back in 2016 and 2017, that, hey, somebody should stop this. Somebody should maybe not let this guy be president. Right. This is not going to just be him. This is not just going to be temporary. These things that he's saying, he's going to be the president, and people are going to listen, and people are going to emulate it. And they did. They were groupies on the tour, and then they mm -hmm. got the little side gigs, and then they got a bigger gig, and then they just kept going, and they're still going. At one point, professional wrestling was a one-hour show that was pre-taped from someplace like the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia, to hours and hours of content that they had to fill. And I think something very similar happened in 2015 and 2016. All of a sudden, politics became this massive form of content that hadn't necessarily been a huge content thing before. So they've got so much more time to fill. So they're bringing up all these, these people to fill the space because now there's this hole that wasn't there before. And Roger Stone can't do it all. Steve Bannon can't do it all. They can do a lot, but they can't fill all of it. So you go find a Jacob Wool. You go find a Jack Berkman. At this point, you go find a Dash Dabrowski, somebody who can come up and be that sort of young up-and-comer, get some attention, and keep people glued to the show. Yeah, you find, you find an actor or creative type who couldn't quite make it in whatever business they were, mm -hmm. they were going for, and you say, hey, well, here's, here's a career. Like we said, the guys that can go out with minimal amount of instruction and put on a half-hour clinic with some other random guy in a pro wrestling match, those people, while they may never be world champ, which is another completely arbitrary thing that they do. They are incredibly valued in the business because people like that can make or break your show. If you can send two mid carters out and have them do a half hour of a pretty amazing match, that can cover a lot of problems up. This is where your Roger Stones come in. This is where your Ali Alexanders come in, your Jack Posobics come in. They can go out and with minimal amounts of direction, they can come up with a narrative that's going to get the mainstream media all over it for some cases, one news cycle, in some cases more. It's pretty amazing. I think about this kind of like I think about major figures who are famous or semi-famous and you reach a certain age and all of these major media outlets start writing your obituary. You hit 40 or 50 or whatever the, the arbitrary number is, but they start writing your obituary. And you, you see this because when somebody dies at 30, they don't have anything prepared. It's just this person passed away, story developing, they add to it later. But if it's somebody older, mm -hmm. they've got something written up and they publish it immediately and they might add to it later, but they've got an archive somewhere and, and they pull it out when it happens. Well, I, I think about the right wing prepared talking points and, 
everything, every story that they've got lined up that they can run with. And when something bad for them happens, when somebody did a thing that does, does not align with the narrative and does not put them in a positive light, well, let's just pull something out of the archive and let's run with it. Right. Let's go. Right. And they've been so good at that. They've had so much luck with the, well, let's pull a culture war story out and just go with whatever the culture war topic du jour is. Trans kids, yeah, let's go there. Cargo shorts, like you said, it doesn't really matter. The point is that no. you got to have something to fill that space. You got to have some content. You got to have a headline. You got to have some pictures ready and maybe a paragraph or two of new content and the rest can be recycled old stuff that who even cares? Does anybody even read it? And sometimes mm -hmm. it's one story for right-wing media and the, and the other story for the left. And I think our echo chambers online now are so segregated that the streams often just don't even cross. You can have those completely opposite opinions and, and statements floating out in the world, and it still works because both sides are getting their content mm -hmm. and both sides are are getting what they need from the situation and, and what did Candace and Kanye need right now? Well, they need, they need to be heard. They need attention. They need to be taken seriously mm -hmm. or, or to be mocked, but either way, they need, the attention. they need to be talked about. Like Oscar Wilde said, the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. And these people have absolutely just internalized that it's echo chambers are absolutely a wonderful thing when that's what you're trying to accomplish. And it almost seems like we've gotten to a point where this is what politics are now. It's not about policy anymore. It's about how hard can we own the other side. It's not necessarily what you do anymore. It's what you say, mm -hmm. which is pretty nuts, but we see it everywhere and we see it more and more. And honestly, it's to the point that the constituents out there if you're an mtg hardcore fan in georgia and i lived very close to her district and definitely know some people who would qualify for that crowd they don't care they, they don't care about her policy positions they don't care if she looks ridiculous on social media they don't they don't care if she's wrong. They care if she's out there owning the libs and mm -hmm. getting talked about and going after the establishment and holding the banner high. And she's doing that. She is. So policy-wise, who cares? They they just don't care. Right. They really don't. And a couple more elections, she ends up being speaker. Who knows? She's really going to have fun with that job. She ends up with it. I mean, really, just imagine what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i i think i think we're seeing kevin mccarthy trying to do enough to keep the the rabid maga base at bay and and at least somewhat satisfied with him but also trying to keep the gop establishment and the money flowing into republican coffers and i just don't see it i just don't i think not too far from now, I feel like we got to write the one where it says Kevin McCarthy's days are numbered. Yeah. And I, I think McConnell is is stronger. He's more entrenched. He's absolutely establishment. And the Senate is more refined. And I think because of the way Senate elections work, you have to generally be more moderate. But I also, I think the Senate will take longer to get there. But when you see guys like Herschel Walker and Blake <laughs> Masters and JD Vance, <laughs> if those are, that's what they're running with right now. Well, matter of time, give it a little time. And I think the the GOP establishment still has the money, but the right wing media, the talking points, the direction of all of that is, it's pointing MAGA, it's pointing towards MTG and Matt Gates mm -hmm. and these people who just want to, well, they, they go on Steve Bannon's show because they share the collective desire to burn it all down. And, and they're going to do it, and Kevin McCarthy just ain't it for them. Nope. You even see this in my state. You know, I'm in Washington state, and pretty much everything east of the Cascade Mountains gets pretty conservative. There's a district in central Washington where the rep voted to impeach Trump and Trump decided to punish him for that in the general, endorsed a guy by the name of Lauren Culp, who's a former sheriff of a town called Republic. He's pretty terrible, very, very MAGA. 
that race in the primary was three MAGA candidates, a Democrat, and this Republican who voted to impeach Trump. And the three MAGA candidates ended up splitting 50% of the vote. I mean, obviously, I'm watching the general. That'll be real interesting to see how that comes out. These are not Republican districts anymore. The whole thing has shifted to the point where Trump owns that district. You've got Lauren Culp, who was endorsed by Trump. You've got a guy who follows Mike Lindell around to his conferences. And you've got a J6 rioter. Those are your candidates. Yeah, so the guys that... The guys that Trump isn't endorsing aren't any no. less Trump. Pick one. Doesn't matter. They're all kind of yeah. the same person. And yeah. they split fifty percent of the vote. If two of them had gotten out, they win. But here we are. And I think we're gonna see similar results all across the nation because these people have had red meat now. They're not gonna go back to what Kevin McCarthy's trying to sell them. Honestly, like I said, GOP establishment, that's the old money. It's the entrenched values. And and some of it, honestly, some of these guys are kind of relics and leftovers for from the Cold War. And it's true because a lot of these guys are pushing 80 Mm -hmm. at this point. They're 60s or older. Some of them are in their 80s. They're not going to be here forever. And what's coming up behind... I think it's it's just obvious that those GOP establishment sites and and they exist. There's National Review and uh, Bulwark probably qualifies there. I mean, I'm a big big fan of a lot of stuff that Bulwark writes, and I, I read them pretty often. But they are very not Trump, right? And and very you know, sane Republican. But I think realistically, the size of their audience compared to everything else compared to Charlie Kirk and Bannon and Alex Jones and Tucker and all these people who have very similar talking points and are definitely MAGA, or at least for now they're MAGA, but they're aligned with the MAGA narratives and and talking points now. They're just getting so much more coverage and so much more attention and so many more visitors and clicks and all this. And we see it. Minds are being swayed. People out there believe. And I don't think it's enough to maintain. You have all the money in the world, but if... You don't have the hearts and minds. They don't. I mean, the Bill Crystal Republicans are a dying breed. They just are. And it's sad to say that, Not because I'm a huge fan of most of these people, but because this was the last gasp of rationality to some extent. These are people who had some interest in governing, had some interest in a working system that actually did things that didn't basically view the whole thing as professional wrestling or performance art. And everything in the rearview mirror is kayfabe. Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can go to didnothingwrongpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word four, and the letter M, all one word, and Grizza, B-J-J, G-R-Z-A, B-J-J, as well as DNW Pod. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, everyone mentioned Did Nothing Wrong.